0: Hello and welcome back to First Act, a podcast from Koshy's Business Builders. I'm Sess Busby.
1: And I'm Adam Bubb.
0: And we're passionate about bringing you the stories you didn't know about Australia's most influential business founders and innovators. That's
1: right, Sess. So in recent weeks, we've found out how to deal with a family business at war. And that interview was with two men in a truck, Richard Kuypers, and it's an absolute must listen we also spoke to Bird's Nest founder, Jane Kay, who was selling clothes online way before it was called cool to do so. In general, this podcast is all about people who walk a different path, how they found their why and what went wrong along the way and how that first act has made an impact.
0: Now, today's guest knows a thing or two about Impact. Pete Seglinski is a surfer, industrial designer and an ecopreneur who crowdfunded a game-changing invention designed to get rubbish out of our waterways, the Sea Bin Project. It's a simple idea, a bin for the ocean, yet its footprint is indelible. Since launching the business, Pete and his team have captured 3,143,451 kilos of waste from our oceans and counting, and there's no doubt they've been saving countless sea creatures in the process. So it's an incredible feat and I can't wait to hear how it all began. Pete, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, stoked and flattered that, uh, you know, sea bins on the radar and the environment.
1: Well, Pete, it is, it's uh, amazing having you with us today. Look, we always start our first act with uh, what we call the first act, icebreaker. Now, your icebreaker for today is you can only go to one beach for the rest of your life. Which beach is that, and why that's tough
2: um, I've been to a lot of beaches um, you know what i I don't have the exact name of the beach, but I do have the um you know how it looks, which is uh you know there'd be like a crystal clear creek just behind the behind the beach there'll be like a tropical lagoon where you know. Kids and you can go swimming, and then amazing waves out the back for surfing and you know, spearfishing and um, free diving. And so, I would, I I can't pin that down. Um, There's definitely some setups here in Australia and definitely overseas. God, that's tough. It is tough. I um, mean, I
1: think you you just you just painted a, a beautiful picture there, taking us all on holiday somewhere that we we all want to be right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> sounds idyllic. It sounds <laughs>
1: idyllic. Okay, so all right, I'll reframe hang, that.
2: Hang on, a sec. say, you know, you know what, the perfect beach doesn't exist at the moment because every single shoreline on Earth has plastic pollution problems. Um, you know, which obviously segues into why I'm here to talk about things, but. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well let's Doesn't let's exist. let's dig right into that. We'll go through all the the kinds of light and shade about this because it is such it is a really important issue. But like let's I guess like, let's sort of go into your journey and and where you you how you've become so connected to the ocean. I mean, you've always you've been around ocean your whole life. Um you're from Byron. Uh when do you think you fell in love with the sea? When did that first spark in you, do you think?
2: Um It's definitely from when I was a kid, uh, going to the beach and literally playing in the waves, learning how to surf with my brothers and my friends. uh, That, you know, we we went to Nippers um, when we were maybe six or seven years old, like super, super tiny kids. And, uh, you know, from there, we found a lot of enjoyment just swimming and body surfing and then, you know, natural progression into surfing and. Yeah, it's weird because, like, you live on the coast of Australia and naturally gravitate to the beach. Um, Nippers,
0: so important. It's another great social enterprise, but a a nice Aussie um, invention.
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, me and my brothers, we've, like, rescued people from drowning, you know, when we were kids with the skills and the – you know that, and that we were taught from the surf club, but it also gave us like a healthy, natural respect for the environment, which I believe is, you know, set the foundations for the rest of my life.
0: Mm-hmm. You do need that respect for the ocean. One minute it's your friend, and the next minute swept out to sea. <laughs> so. Uh, getting back to that social enterprise thing, a bean project is a social enterprise. Was social responsibility something that you kind of grew up with? It? Was it always important to you?
2: Um, yes and no. Like I, I think um, you know, I grew up with not a super strict sort of childhood, Like, we but, you know, we had a healthy respect for our parents and other people around us. Um and then in terms of the environment, like it was just naturally there. Like I didn't know, you know, that there was this like social responsibility that I had built into me until I left Australia. And it took me till age thirty-seven of working over different careers, different industries, to understand that I'd been lacking a bit of purpose in my life and when the C um project came along you know that was my light bulb moment and then I really saw you know the social responsibility that I I guess was there and needed to be expanded upon
1: it's amazing the way that there are things yeah. that we you know in our lives that that, that that you're right like you were saying that, like this was the world around you but it just takes something like you get you can have an epiphany you know and you go right well there's something that's always been there but I can actually do something to improve it um, you today you're a self-described ecopreneur, um, but you did start your career as a product designer. What what kind of products were you initially creating, and um, how did that sort of lead you to thinking about you know creating the Seabin project?
2: Yeah, like super exciting products uh, like toasters and kettles. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> really
1: meaningful stuff. I <laughs> they mean,
0: are much needed. Though. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't
1: be able to have my uh, my peanut butter on toast in the morning um, on my um, yeah. very very boring cardboard tasting gluten free toast. I would not be able to have that were it not for that toaster that you designed.
2: Everything has a a reason, you know. In life, some of the reasons are good. Some of the reasons are like just to get that bit of toast in the morning, you know. But like I, but anyway, yes, yeah, so I was uh, I, I ironically specialized in plastic injection molded um products which is literally everything that we own telephones medical equipment children's toys and household appliances and so we'd start off with a sketch on paper you would uh, sketch out what you thought looked pretty cool and then you would um open up a an engineering software program where you would engineer an entire product on screen um and then Create the drawing, send it off to China, have it manufactured. They send it back, and then you, you know, give it to the client and help them sell it, put it on the shelf. So from ideation to, you know, the shelf to then someone's home, and um, it was epic because like I was, you know, got to be creative, got to use my brain, got to see a sketch turn into a product. Um, But then, like, I was always this kind of less is more kind of guy which i wanted to put into the engineering and the design of a product and it wasn't really working at the consultancy where i was at and i started to see there was a lot of products we were designing or putting into the world that weren't really needed um and so yeah i'm i'm Started off in the plastics industry, I guess.
0: Wow. <laughs> what a turnaround. And then you went from product design to boat building, is that right? What kind of opportunities came with that? Because to me that sounds super romantic, building a boat, you know, testing it out at sea. And and how long does it take to build a boat?
2: Um Yeah, I mean I like don't want to be like rain on your parade, but there was oh, nothing no. romantic. <laughs> About the uh, the boating the, the yachting industry that I was involved with because it's possibly the most toxic chemicals and materials on earth that are designed not to break down mm-hmm. so you know I went from plastic to Kevlar and epoxy resin and carbon fiber.
0: Oh and my god! I had these romantic fusions of like beautiful wooden hull boats, you know, <laughs> lovely sailboats. <laughs> oh
1: look, my my brother-in-law, he he works in boat building, and he wears the full like hazmat suit um, because he's working with all those chemicals uh, and breathing it in. Um, and he has yeah. to, and you know, what you're putting on these boats is like you're putting—they're meant to be durable for the oceans. You know, that is their number one thing that they have to be able to handle whatever conditions are thrown at them. So there's all kinds of stuff that's put on them.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I was working for the Formula One of race car teams, which was the highest end in the boat building world you can work in, which was the America's Cup, the Volvo Ocean Race, uh, TP52s. And, you know, the first priority is the boat has to be safe and the second priority it has to be the fastest Thing on the water um and so it was all lightweight uh, materials that you know really strong um, but expensive and really not sustainable and and at the end of the day this this sailing it was epic it was building the craziest most beautiful fastest things on the water working for the biggest brands and biggest teams in the world um but it was it was just someone's hobby like you know it's like us going to play golf or go for a surf you got these billionaires that are out there racing each other for bragging rights um you know that like it was great i did it for 12 years i loved it i still do but i needed more i needed more purpose in my life um and thankfully that gave me a segue into seabin um by doing 12 years of boat building
0: do you think if you hadn't have had that experience that perhaps you wouldn't be on the journey that you're on now
2: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I needed to do all these things to be where I am. Um, you know, I needed to not have the purpose. I needed to work, you know, the, these international jobs to then visit these marinas all around the world to see the problem firsthand and see it replicated over and over and over, which is plastic pollution. Um, and, yeah, yeah, everything happens for a reason.
0: Now, you founded the Seabin Project with a fellow ocean lover, Andrew Turton. So how did the two of you meet and what was the aha moment that inspired you to come together to join and make Seabin?
2: Yeah, so we, we met through the sailing industry. Um, Andrew Turton is a really good sailor and a really amazing professional boat builder. He was working for a Russian um, team. Uh, We were racing around the world. He was working for the Russians. I was working for the Americans, Um, and we just got to know each other because it's a small world. And um, every new country that we rock up in, you know, it's all the same people doing the same thing, and you know, it's like a tight knit sailing community. And then, um, but the moment happened. We were in Florida, down at Miami, and uh, my my team had just won the world series uh, we were the world champions sorry and the next morning as we we're flying out i was talking with andrew and he for some weird reason just said hey i've got this idea about this thing called a cbin i was like oh cool you know what are you going to do with it and he didn't know he was kind of had this great idea didn't know what the next steps were and that was my. Light bulb moment, because I had done that in my first career as a product designer,
1: well, wow, it's often uh, that so meeting of sure. minds, right? It's that the person who's kind of got the idea and then there's the person who's got the execution.
2: yeah, yeah, it's um what is it always mashed quotes, but the best idea in the world that isn't executed isn't worth anything.
1: Mm. You quit your day job though at that time to take the plunge, right. Like how? How did you know that you wanted to make that leap of faith, and it wouldn't just be, you know, this 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 wild idea that wasn't you you weren't able to be able to kind of go all in on?
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I got to clarify. Like, I didn't quit, you know, immediately. Like, you know, I was I was earning heaps of money. I didn't have any bills to pay. Like, I was I was on like this dream team, just getting crazy amounts of money, living overseas, and it was amazing. And it was, I, I didn't quit for like a couple of years. Um, but it all built up from constantly daydreaming about this sea bin thing. So I'd be at work, um, doing my job. And I just constantly kept finding myself daydreaming about, oh, you know, I could quit. I could do this. I could help save the oceans. I could help other people, help the fish. Um, yeah, really make an impact. And it took a couple of years for me, of just daydreaming about it till I realized like, damn, I'm doing a lot of daydreaming. maybe I should act on it. <laughs> and I didn't tell anyone, but I started to sort of save and squirrel my money away. And I was living in Italy at the time. Uh, we're at the bottom of the Alps building like the like this amazing boat in a factory and it was in the winter and it was this town called Bergamo and the Dolomites are, you can see the Dolomites up the back of the town. And I don't know if you guys have been skiing or snowboarding, but, um, if it's snowing, uh, if it's snowing on the mountain, um, it'll be raining down in the town, you know, cause you know, snow is water and all that sort of thing. Um, and so I was in this valley, building this um, amazing racing yacht and it was raining and overcast every day. But I knew that it was like snowboard heaven up, a, up above the clouds. And so I was starting to get a bit depressed, starting to get a bit, I don't know, is it time to move on? And then after a while, I was like, God, I've just got to act on this. And so I was like, guys, I'm quitting. They're like, what are you going to do? Like, well, I'm going snowboarding for two weeks, and then I'm going surfing for two <laughs> weeks, and then I'm going to do this seabin thing. And they're like, "You're an idiot, dude! Like, this is the best thing you got going." I'm like, "No, it's not," and and then I quit.
0: <laughs> and then you and in, you initially uh, crowdsourced for funding for the bin project, and then it went viral. It absolutely captured everybody's imagination. What do you think it was about the project that made everyone go, yep, we want to put some money into this
2: um, there's 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 a combination there's quite a few things i mean i'd i'd in eight months I'd save seventy thousand dollars, which I thought was going to you know save the world and just do all this amazing stuff and it probably lasted like three months, which was um legal, IP and all this other stuff and also like real-life stuff, like I had to pay rent again, <laughs> um, you know, pay oh for my own God. food. <laughs> That's a bit of a shock. Um, and so when I did the crowdfunding, like I'd, I'd heard that if you have a good idea, people will give you money to do it. Um, it was a bit harder because we didn't have a product that everyone could have but everyone would benefit from. Um we didn't have like a widget so if you gave me five dollars I'd give you you know some kind of little product or a keyring or something and so it was a bit different but we only had two grand in the bank and uh you know we we needed like 150,000 and so the success of the crowdfunding video like it wasn't instantaneous um weirdly enough it was a there was this huge insight into the environmental world where in 2016, people were jumping up and down asking for solutions to plastic pollution and I was like, well, I've got one. Here's the C bin. We spent like three grand to make a video um, and everyone was just shutting us down and blocking me on Facebook messaging and stuff. And that was when I realized we were a conflict of interest to other, like these environmental not-for-profits and business models where that I don't know, like if people gave us money, they wouldn't give them money. And so, you know, it was this like really horrible, gross moment for me of how the not-for-profit and environmental world actually operated behind the closed doors, like away from the public facing. And, um, and then, but after a while, um, we, we, we got a little bit of traction, because nobody had seen a trash can in the water, and so you know, if you, you catch a bigfoot on camera finally, <laughs> that shit's going to go viral. And so what we did was, we had something that no one's ever seen before, which was a know rubbish bin we put in the water, the most obvious thing in the world that no one had thought of. And it went nuts, like billions of views. And then from there, um, you know, we started to get two dollars, three dollar donations, seven dollars, fifty bucks, fifty cents. You know, like, and it all started to add up. And uh, we we ended up making our target, which was like around one hundred and fifty thousand euros. And at the time, it was like double the uh, the. Um, currency conversion, so it was like $350,000 Aussie dollars or something like, which was just crazy. Um, but, yeah, that that was how it happened. And it screwed me up for three years, like the anxiety of trying to make this crowdfunding thing happen and and I'd never had anxiety before and I was drinking coffee and I was like getting all this doom and gloom and, you know, it's all screwed, and and for three years I couldn't drink coffee because of this crowdfunding campaign.
1: You mean after the crowdfunding campaign, or before you, you were doing it? You were feeling the anxiety.
2: It was during. It was at like the at the three quarter stage of the crowdfunding campaign where, if you like one cent short, less than the target, sorry, than your target, you wouldn't get anything. You don't
0: get the mm. money.
1: It's so. It was really about watching money. those numbers and going, "Am I going to get?" Like are we going to get there and how, you know, like what happens if we do and what if we don't and all of the, the what ifs, right?
2: Oh, if, like if we did get there, that was the best thing in the world obviously but it was like we're not going to make it because mm. um, I did it for the month of December. Uh, I shouldn't have because um, there was people were going on leave, holidays, Christmas, I hated Christmas in 2016 because the day before we'd raised like $28,000. On Christmas Day we raised like $2,000 and, you know, I was like in my head I'm like, can everyone just stop? Doing these lovely things with your family and get back online and give Seabin some money so they can save the ocean. <laughs> but it's also
1: the most cluttered time of the year for not for profits because it's every every charity every not for profit is out there trying to raise money ahead of Christmas. Uh, that it's, it's yeah, just, it's crazy at that time. And I'm like
2: just you know the full Grinch mode, just like <laughs> stop everything what you're doing, you know, stop having fun and and focus on Seabin, you know, because we're about to die. <laughs> we haven't even started.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Wow!
0: Yeah. Well, thankfully, you actually um, you made your deadline to get the money that you wanted raised, and you were able to create SeaBin because it's captured millions of kilos of rubbish from the ocean to date. I mean, how does that feel to have made such an impact?
2: Um, to be honest, I haven't. I haven't really processed it because um, it's been, like, such a stressful and amazing but terrifying journey. Uh, I've, I've never done this before. I've never had a business. I'd never, I, didn't, I didn't pay tax for, like, 16 years. That was the first thing I got when I got back to Australia. It was, like, this crazy tax bill because I'd lived overseas and just, you know, had, didn't have a care in the world. And now I've got, like, so much responsibility of so many people's money that have given to me, you know, to, to try and fix the world. And like, you know, naivety was probably the greatest asset that I ever had. And then it was, oh shit, you know, we've done it. Now we've got to deliver. And if we don't, people will, you know, be let down. And so I haven't really had a moment to process any of this, to be honest.
1: We'll give you about 30 seconds or so to, uh, to uh, take that all in. We'll be back with more from the Seabin Project's Pete Zaglinski, after this short break.
2: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: So, Pete, I'd like to touch on a little bit of the uh, uh, local waterways, which is uh, Sydney Harbour, because I believed in December 2020, Seabin was part of a big initiative to clean up the harbour. Um, it was a partnership. Was meant to go for a couple of years to help get the Sydney waterways cleaner. And now, how's that project been going? Are we on track for a a lice crystal clear harbour?
2: Yeah, yeah, we are actually. Um, we we are we are on track. We've got a lot of work to do. Um, but um, yeah, so in. In late, maybe mid-2019, we realised that we had a business model that we'd scaled into 53 countries, we'd sold thousands of units, we had, you know, hundreds of thousands of kilos being captured but it wasn't a sustainable business model for us. Um, The bank account kept telling us, you know, like we didn't have enough cash in the bank, Um, we're trying to scale, you know, all this type of thing and. Just something wasn't working and so um, we did another crowdfunding uh, round but this time it was equity crowdfunding. So instead of giving away hats and stickers, we were giving away shares in the company. Um, But the main thing was we needed a year and a half or two years of um, runway just to, to, to launch a new business model which we called 100 Smarter Cities by 2050. And so we figured that instead of trying to scale and conquer the world quickly, we, we should start city by city, uh, starting with the global twenty, uh, because it's a uh, you know, more progressive, more developed, um, and, and influ- influential. And so we launched in Sydney. Um, we we launched the equity crowdfunding. We raised one point seven million dollars uh, during COVID, which was crazy. And so we raised money, employed people and, you know, whilst people were losing jobs and the world had just gone upside down. And then, you know, we we launched Sydney as our first city, the first city in the world to monitor, capture microplastics in the water 24-7. And uh, it's been absolutely amazing uh, to the extent where we launched uh, Los Angeles, our second city. in July, just gone. I uh, say so last month, and it's been absolutely phenomenal. The amount of support, the impact, and the the development of the business model and and the team. Yeah, we went. Was it
0: horrifying the amount of microplastics in the water in the harbour?
2: Um, it is, but like I'm this eternal kind of optimist, where like I don't really let. You know, the depressive nature of what we do get to me because I I like in my head, I don't I don't have like this crazy dirty beach that I'm focused on. In my head I've got a pristine beach with no plastic, no siggy butts on there. And that's what I'm working to. So, you know, it can get depressing, it can, you know, really wear you down. But for me, I've thankfully been blessed with this optimistic sort of side of it and just focus on solutions you know, yeah, we know there's a problem, but let's fix it. Like, that's always been the attitude. Um, yeah.
1: And that's how you, I mean, really, that's how you capture people's imaginations, is, isn't it? Because you, people are, have so many messages that are, are, you know, coming at them every single day. The news cycle is depressing. Um, you hear lots of, you know, terrible kind of updates when you hear about, you know, about climate change and just the, the things that are irreversible and the things that we can't change. But I think, that key message that you have about something that we can change, um, something that we can together, that we can do, that is reversible, something that we can make an impact on, that, I mean, that's 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 so powerful. Um, and I think, like, there's a reason why CBIN has, has received a lot of international awards for this, um, you know, for this sustainable, so these sustainable solutions. How do you think you managed to capture the, you know, other other countries' you know, bring them on this ride too?
2: Yeah. um, I mean, there is a lot of other people just like me who, you know, want to build purpose into their life. Like you want to be part of something bigger, part of a solution. And we created this business model where we, we activate communities and we can deliver purpose if you want it. You know, we have volunteer programs, citizen science programs, we do beach cleanups and, you know, like we've literally just been conquering these cities using the communities that all want the same thing, which is cleaner oceans and less trash on the beach. Um, and and we saw this in our equity crowdfunding as well, which was there are a lot of people in the world that don't have 100,000 or 50,000 to invest but they do have $250 or $500 but then a lot of these sort of regular people they're also looking for businesses that have purpose attached to per, um, to the profit and you know we've somehow just found ourselves in this little gap that we've filled you know where we can build purpose into other people's lives and it's just been amazing
1: and also, I guess from a, a first hand perspective, as a as a passionate surfer, you see the impact that humanity can have on our oceans every day. You know, when you're when you're in the oceans, there's nothing like actually seeing and feeling it. How can we all do better and make a difference? What do you think are the, the, the kind of daily things that that really help?
2: Oh, there's there's so many things. I mean, the first thing is it's our problem that we built, you know, like if, if humans didn't, you know, evolve and and build this world where we rely on, on plastic, like my iPhone, my the microphone I'm speaking into, like all this stuff, like it's all got plastic in it. It's an amazing material. Um, unfortunately, we're blaming this material that we created and that we use uh, on all of our problems and we're not looking at ourselves as with accountability. Um. You know why blame an inanimate object on the world's problems when it's actually us, the consumer. And so, as humans, we have a lot of stepping up to do. You know, myself, everybody, um, and it's small actions that we can all take: refuse single use, refuse a plastic bag, refuse a plastic straw. You know, this is this is how we all win, and it's changing our mindsets. It's um, you know business models now they businesses that are selling products like you know you you have a business that would be saving the rainforest attached to a product and you have a business that isn't and with a woke consumer culture you know the whoever builds purpose into their products is going to win and so the world's changing and it's great
0: it does start with that education piece though doesn't it because people have to have the knowledge and to be able to make a change. And I think part of what CBIN does is provide that education. You do um, teach people how to be more socially responsible, how to take, um, you know, be responsible for their own actions and you've got a great volunteer program. Uh, How did that side of the business come about?
2: Uh, That came from me trying not to be a hypocrite, to be honest. (laughs) You like there's a lot of business decisions that I've made based on my own. Like I didn't want to be seen to be a like a dickhead or a hypocrite. The reasoning for that was we started with clean up. We just thought we we're going out to, to clean up a, a problem. We're just going to clean up the trash, and you know we'll, we'll fix the world. But then I started to realize, you know, personal business development, like all this, was kicking in, and uh, you know you got to turn off the tap before you can clean up was the catch cry. And I was like, well, you know, we're we're cleaning up, but we're not turning off the tap. So it's a good business model for cleanup. You'll always be cleaning up. The, The tap keeps running. And then to mitigate the risk of criticism of just being the cleanup people, I was like, well, what's the real solution And every single avenue of train of thought that I could ever think of, it all came back to education. If we were smarter about plastic, we wouldn't have it in the water. If we didn't have plastic in the water, we wouldn't have a need for sea bins. How do we get smarter? And so I took, like, inspiration from Patagonia, the the outdoor um, outerwear company, and focused on, you know, we, we can be a business and we can be a not-for-profit, but we, you know, we, we have more power being a for-profit, but we can still do not-for-profit activities, uh, which created this crazy brand awareness for us that, you know, really put us on the map of, you know, let's do educational things and, and, and clean up at the same time. And so it all just came back from me not wanting to be a hypocrite of, hey, we're here to clean up, we're going to fix the world, which wouldn't happen and will never happen.
0: You've brought investors in to the business and unlike when you did that initial crowdfunding, you're taking CBIN public. So is there any concerns that then they're going to try to dictate how you do business or might want to try and taper off your your lessons that you're giving? Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, 100%. The the greatest fear is to bring on an investor that, like, you know, tells you they're in, they love all this stuff that you're doing, and then they just focus on the bottom line, which is profit. That's the greatest fear and the worst thing that could ever happen to us. Um, And thankfully, like, how I've kind of set everything up or maybe my personality, the directness, bluntness, the transparency involved has kind of been a really good filter for these you know, so-called impact investors that possibly could do that. I wrote no dickheads on the office wall <laughs> and, you know, we just follow this no dickhead policy um, which has been filtering out these types of people and, and because we're kind of benchmarking, like no one's done this before, no one put the trash can in the water, no one's created this business model where, you know, you could be seen as a charity type thing but, you know essentially we're like a utility and a data service now um, and the people that invested in us were was your mum and your dad, your neighbor, your sisters, your brother. The people invested in us were just regular people that were dropping like two hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars because we I've spoken to hundreds of investors over the years, and they're like, we love what you do, but you're too this, you're too small, you're too big, you're not impact enough. You know, and you're like, fuck, like who are you people? And I've realised it's been a good thing because you know, we, we don't want to change what we're doing. We wanna get better at it, but yeah, so I don't know, we're we're sort of our own worst enemy but you know, then but what we're doing is amazing with the so called impact investors.
1: Tell me more. I, I want to know what it is that, how Seabin how Project is providing your data that others are finding really valuable.
2: Yeah, well, this, this, isn't, this didn't start from day one. Day one, we, we sold a Seabin to a client. We got like $8,000, you know, and that was it. And that was how we thought we we're going to rule the world and blah, 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 save the oceans. Uh, and then we stopped. We stopped selling Seabins. Um, it was the weirdest, most terrifying moment that we'd ever done um, and then triple, quadruple this terrifying moment with COVID-19 in, in 2020. Um, and because we, we decided we weren't going to sell CBINs anymore, we're going to sell our services, we're going to sell data. Um, and so we, we created a sponsorships business model uh, where people could sponsor a CBIN, uh, it was a recurring revenue, so there 's a per annum fee, and the the deliverable the main deliverable was data and so i 'm this guy that 's like when people are like oh' we 're doing data we 're doing this we 're doing that, and i 'm just looking at them like they 're talking about ghosts you know there 's like <laughs> shit i can 't see it 's not tangible <laughs> i can 't touch it i can 't kick it i don 't mm-hmm. care what you 're talking about, leave me alone because i 'm busy doing real things, you know, and all of a sudden like I'm this like tire kicker that's like talking about data and like in the deep end and the mansplain that, you know, I, I needed to be mansplained about what this data stuff was. And um, and so we, we collect data so we count things. We count how many straws we collect, we microplastics and all this and that. And then we realized that, um, you know, there's companies that don't really have a business model where they can create impact with what they do, but they do have money and budgets and sustainability, you know, reports that they want to help the world to make it a better place. And so, people were like, "Well, if we pay you X amount of money, can you tell us how much impact you, you know, you can you can create from the money?" And we're like, "Yeah, for sure." And uh, so now, you know, we've got this amazing business model where we're providing information on how many things we counted, collected, estimated, um, and we put that into a, uh, a report. It's got pie graphs. It's got numbers. You know, there's like pretty pictures. It's all, you know, it's really visually pleasing stuff and it's data. And so this is how we started off getting into this data realm. Um, and then so the these corporate partners, they – they're stoked. They spend X amount of money. X amount of trash was collected. X amount of billions of liters of water was filtered. They put that into an annual or a sustainability or a marketing campaign report. You know, whatever. And you know, that was how they elevate themselves and you know, elevate us as well.
1: That's so interesting. I think like that's there's that corporate sustainability element there very much. So and, and going all right, we can we can help others you can help lift the game of, um, you know, businesses that are much bigger than ours, you know, and, and make sure that it's not just the individual who's, um, who's, uh, you know, refusing a plastic bag at, at the shops, but it's, it's corporations that are, are going, we are going to, we are going to walk the talk. We're going to listen to people and we are going to partner with people like the the CBIN project and go, you know what, like we can't be hypocrites anymore. Um, I mean, there are a lot of companies out there that do a lot of greenwashing as well. So yeah. that's also something to be wary of too.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that's that was that's been a huge thing. I mean, we, we, we had to make a, a decision whether to, you know, partner with Coca-Cola and it took us a little while um, to make the decision and in the end we realised that, you know, if you're part of the problem, you need to be part of the solution. But then how do we, you know, mitigate the risk of the greenwashing and this and that. But we, we found a way to do it and um and it was like we didn't get hardly any backlash from it because we explained why we made the decision, how we did it, what we're gonna do, and people were like, wow, you know, that actually sounds like that makes sense. And so um but then, then back to the data, I mean we we've been working with the US EPA at the moment in Philadelphia to monitor the Microplastics and um, the, the water quality in the Delaware River. Uh, it's a 12-month program from the data and the data protocols that we're building. The best practices, you know, uh, with a, a favorable outcome in uh, another six months. You know, this is this is something that gets spread across all of the USA. Uh, we've been working with United Nations, the EPA government uh, agencies around Australia. Um, we partnered with the biggest data partner in the world, which is IBM, uh, to, to assist us in using artificial intelligence and a few other things to, you know, ha- how do we get more efficient with the data side of things? And for the United Nations Environment Program, this is the decade of ocean science. And I'm going to match this other quote, but we know more about the surface of Mars than we do the bottom of our oceans. And essentially what we're doing with this microplastics by counting it and, you know, we can quantify it transparently and accurately is we found a data gap because no one has this information, no one had put the rubbish bin in the water, and, you know, where there's a data gap, like there's opportunity. And so now we're using... The data from the trash can to influence positive legislation and policy making for sustainable cities and, and communities around the world.
0: Yeah, it's just so incredible that from that that simple idea, putting a rubbish bin into the ocean, has had so many um, consequences, but consequences for good, not not terrible consequences. <laughs> um, one last question for you, Pete. What's your advice to other entrepreneurs who want to start a purpose-driven business?
2: Um, oh, that's an easy one. Do it. <laughs> Just do it. But there's, there's one caveat. like You've got to make a plan. Um, you, you need a plan. If you're going to quit your job, if you're going to like save your money and put it into an idea, you've got to have a plan of attack because if if you don't have a plan, if you don't have the money, if you don't budget, you're going to be asking for your day job back pretty soon, you know. So you just got to, if 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 you feel in your gut that this idea, whatever it is that you're working on, you know, is is worth quitting your job, do it, but do it smart, make a plan, and uh, yeah, just go for it. But um, I think you got to be real as well. There is so much pain and effort and just you know, energy that needs to be put into your project to make it happen. Just, yeah, I don't know, Just find that extra energy when you don't have it and make it happen and stay positive. I think the
0: purpose <laughs> helps you do that.
2: Yeah, 100%, absolutely. That, that
1: clean beach that we were talking about right at the beginning of this chat, it's that, that beautiful image that you painted uh, for us that was – that's the, that's the, that's the purpose, you know, that's the reason you get up in the morning and keep on going. Yeah.
2: yeah, hundred percent. And I think actually I'd like to take this moment just to tell anyone who's listening that like, if your business doesn't have purpose, that's not a problem. You know, you don't have to have a product that saves the oceans. You don't, you know, you, you don't have to build that into your business model at the start, but if you want to succeed, you will have to build it in as you go because with a woke consumer culture, like that's the only way you're going to succeed in business these days. And so, you know, you, you might manufacture a steel ruler, you know, and how, how are you going to benefit the earth from it? You know, maybe physically you can't, but then if you're making money or if there's profit or you can build something into a margin, You can plant a tree. You can help save a rainforest or a koala, you know. So because I I, I see that there's a lot of anxiety, um, maybe overthinking going into, hey, everyone has to save the world. Um, We don't all have to. We still need to build houses. We need plumbers. You know, we need all that stuff. But, you know, just if you can somehow build purpose into that, you know, that would be amazing.
1: Well, Purposeful Pete is what I'm going to call you. Uh, (laughs) It's a great message uh, for us to wrap up on. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your first act. For anybody uh, who's listening, head to cbinproject.com, sign up to their newsletter, donate, buy their merch. It's a great cause. Thanks for joining us, Pete. Amazing. Thanks for
2: having me, everyone.
1: And thank you for listening to another episode of First Act. Why not chuck us a five-star review if you're loving these chats? We all love you forever. Uh, We'll be back next week for another scintillating First Act conversation.